Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? A big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies, who did the heavy lifting on this episode. You can learn more about his work at idealvideostrategies.com. Also, I'm being featured on Attitude Magazine's webinar series this coming Tuesday, August 6th, at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll be talking about how to use my wall of awful model to help our kids with ADHD overcome failure, fear, and disappointment. The link is in the show notes, and I'd love to see you there. Finally, the best way to support this show is by sharing it with others, either online or in person. So let your social media feeds know about us, let the people you see in person know about us, and of course, if you enjoy these episodes, a five-star rating and review in iTunes would be delightful. In fact, since you've been meaning to do it, why don't you pause this episode, post that five-star review and rating real quick, then come back and continue with our episode. Welcome to ADHD Essentials. Today, we're talking to Lindsay Steele. Lindsay is a high school social studies teacher with ADHD. She writes about managing the life of a teacher while having ADHD on her blog, Fight, Pray, Teach. In today's episode, Lindsay and I talk about how having ADHD has informed her teaching practice and her relationships with her students. She also shares some of the organizational strategies she uses to keep her classroom running well. And we talk about how those strategies can be applied to the home by parents affected by ADHD. All right, let's get rolling. So hi, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So you are a teacher affected by ADHD. That is correct. This will be my fifth year teaching, um, taught all kinds of history. Currently, I'm teaching government and U.S. history. Civics government is one semester here, so I teach that twice. And then I teach U.S. history the entire year. I find high schoolers to be way easier than little ones because I just seem to bond with them a lot better. And they're not as sticky as little ones because, you know, little ones, their hands are always sticky. And I don't know why that is. I prefer not to be touched with sticky stuff, but, you know, kids are very affectionate and emphatic. And so they'll come up to you with their grimy hands and they'll try to touch all over you. And not about it. High school kids don't do that as much. They not, I mean, not that I've seen. They can eat a popsicle in a way that's neat. Usually, I mean, we'll, we'll say about 98% of the time, just for that margin for error. And because they're, because they're big kids, you know, they're on the, the cusp of making some of the biggest life decisions up to, up to now in their life. So they don't talk to their parents. They talk to their friends, but their friends are the same age as them. So they don't have any life experience. So being an adult, that's not their parents actually bodes pretty well for me because I can be honest with them because I love them. And I can also offer a parent type perspective, but it's coming from a person that's younger. So it just sounds better, I guess. And they, a lot of times they just appreciate my honesty 
and they're just usually I'll just ask, you know, okay, do you want me to listen or do you actually want solutions to your problems? That's a good question. They'll tell me and then I will either give advice or I won't. Now you have ADHD, right? Yes. So how do you find the fact that you have ADHD influences your teaching or your ability to connect with the kids or not connect with the kids as the case may be? What kind of a role is that playing in your practice? Well, the thing that I've learned about kids is that if they like you, they are more willing to adapt. Now, the first couple weeks of school when I'm walking around class all day long, it makes them kind of nervous and rightly so. I mean, I'm the authority figure, like it's scary, even though I don't find myself that scary. But after a while, they just get used to it, you know, Um, or if I forgot to grade their papers. Um, because kids will ask the next day if you graded all 120 of their tests. <laughs> that didn't happen. I didn't. And because because I have a good relationship with most of them, they'll be like, okay. And then they'll just keep going and do their do their high school kid thing, you know. And so I feel like just being myself and being authentic, because kids can tell. They They just know. Like, it's kind of like a monster can smell fear. Like, it's it's the same thing. Um, so I feel like being authentic allows them to be more authentic and that just allows us to get more stuff done. I will say though, that since my ADHD is inattentive, I will find myself spacing out a lot of the time. Now, if I ask, where did we leave off? There's going to be at least one kid that knows hopefully. And so they'll just be like, Oh yeah, we left off at number 17. Like, okay, then we'll keep going. Um, Or let's just say some kid had to work till midnight the previous night and they had an essay due. Being an adult that has deadlines, I understand. I also have a full-time job. So we have to have a conversation about that. And so they'll just say, hey, Miss Steele, I'm sorry I was working till midnight. Um, Can I get it to you tomorrow? And usually with a lot of kids, that's all they need. Now, there's, of course, about the 20% that I'll never see that essay. But usually, if I just say, okay, you know, you can turn in the next day, that's totally fine. A day later, after that, I'll take off 20% or whatever the case may be. So you're sort of giving them forgiveness around, there's a reason they don't have the essay. It's because they're working. You're not taking that grade. You're not marking their grade down day late. But if it's two days late, that's a different story. Yes. Um, and so. Or usually there's, there will be some kids that work multiple days in a row. Now, I'm not the person that gives homework a lot because I won't get it back. But also that, that requires more grading on my part. And I would rather do more authentic grading than I'd rather have quality over quantity. And so when that happens, they usually kids are so grateful that they never have to do this. Like this is the first time all semester that they've done this and they'll only have to do it like two more times, they'll get it done and it'll be over. Okay. It's not like in a, no offense to math teachers in a math class where they have 30 problems to do every night. And I get why math teachers do that. It's just a lot for high school kids. Even if they're 15 to 18 years old, it's still a lot. And that makes sense. Is it your past experience as a student with ADHD and scrambling to keep up and get things done and not turn that essay in late, even though you're working till midnight, now you're up till 2am finishing it. Is it those experiences that are 
sort of informing this compassion and forgiveness that you're sharing with your students? I would say it's about half and half. Now, my parents were the people that wanted me to problem solve and make it work for me, which, and that's why I don't have a ton of um, sympathy to those people who enable, but these things only happened a handful of times. Now that I'm an adult, it's probably more like, oh, this bill was late. Oh, I forgot to pay it. You know, that's not, a, it's, mm-hmm. it can be huge, but it doesn't happen very often. It's more of, I was looking at a statistic just the other day. Um, kids have more or almost the same amount of mental disorder as a 1940s mental patient with anxiety and depression and social media. And there's a whole different conversation there. That's a totally different podcast. I'm not going to say all of them have more important things to worry about, but a lot of them do. And so that's the last thing on their mind. Feel free to tell me that you are not comfortable with this particular question, but what are those other things that they might have on their mind? So I spent my first year teaching at a very, um, well, and and it's still, I mean, it's not the same school. It's just a different, different school. Um, Very diverse, very low socioeconomic status or can be, Um, you know, uh, kids just have, they have to take care of their siblings because their parents work at night. They have to work to support the family. They uh, play sports or they have band practice till late at night or just life things that just kind of get in the way. Um, Now, a lot of teachers will be kind of unsympathetic towards that, but this is their life. And so these are things that make them better. Like I was a band kid growing up. I loved it. Um, It made my high school experience amazing and memorable. So if that was possibly going to get taken away, I would be of no use to anyone. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been a good student. I wouldn't have been, you know, um, a good friend, uh, a good daughter to my parents. You know, it's just a lot of things can happen when those little extra things are taken away from you. And so to enhance their quality of life, I mean, we can, deadlines are still very important, but I, and I also don't let them get to too slick with it either. You know, they don't, this isn't a every assignment kind of thing. I appreciate your approach to deadlines though, because it's sort of alien to a lot of the experiences that I've had, at least in education, both as a student and as a teacher, where so often it seems like the perspective on a deadline is that it is when it is, and there is no forgiveness and you can't ever be late. And it just has to happen in this moment. And that's not the real world after high school. That isn't how things work. And, and I carried that pressure. I carried that pressure for at least a decade out of high school, including with my grading as a teacher, thinking I had to like flip a hundred essays. If I didn't flip them for the next day. And of course I didn't flip a hundred essays for the next day. Of course but I always had a ton of anxiety and felt like a failure because I didn't flip a hundred essays in one day. Okay. So I have a life. Um, my kids know this. I have dogs. I, you know, lift weights. I go and, you know, do things to me. That's not realistic in college. Um, and in the, in teaching and, uh, my job now it's, it's very easy for me to get an extension or which has only again, happened a handful of times if that. And usually what happens is if I'm nice and honest, they'll give me an extension. If I say, I'm so sorry, it totally slipped my mind. Um, I wrote it down. I don't know what happened there. They're usually pretty forgiving. 
at least towards me. I don't know what happens behind closed doors or anything. So I work in a very compassionate school. My, my admin is very supportive, which I know is foreign to a lot of teachers and that it sucks. If you're, if you can't do it as an adult, what what makes you think a teenager can do it? So, and also um, with regular assignments, I have a one week expiration date. So especially for my kids with sped paperwork, you know, they, they, a lot of them have extra time um, up to a, like up to 300%, I think is the max or my kids that speak uh, English isn't their first language. So they need more time. They have access to that um, for another week. And in very extenuating circumstances, I'll extend it one more time. But my regular quote unquote, I hate that word. My gen ed students don't really see that. Um, so it'll be a week and maybe then some. But then my regular kids get a week and then that assignment disappears. Because after a week, honestly, they probably weren't going to do it. And it disappears. Does that mean it's a zero now? It disappears, disappears off of Google Classroom. It just goes in as an MW, which calculates as a zero. Um, and so if they come to me with this, you know, ginormous sob story, their grandma passed away or something, you know, that's, I can still, I can still work that in. Um, now I'm, it's, if it's December, I'm not taking assignments from September. That's just ridiculous. Um, and I've done that. And so that's why I've kind of implemented this due date policy. Um, I have to make sure that I remember to take it off. Um, and that's one of those things with ADHD is my, for, is my forgetfulness. Um, if I just set an alarm to do it, then it's, then it's done. Speaking of sort of strategies to help with your ADHD, you've written an entire article about this, mm-hmm. about having ADHD and how you manage your disorder while also managing your profession, which is teaching. Right. And all of the organization and structure that is required to be a teacher. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that and sort of talk about it. And, and for the parents listening who are like, but I'm not a teacher, so why do I need to know how to balance ADHD and teaching? My answer to that is that this is structure and systems that can easily be transported into the house, easily be transported into an office job. It goes into lots of other areas that are outside of the classroom as a student or as a teacher, but this frame is still useful because your ideas and your strategies are great. Oh, thank you very much. Um, So, Like I said, I grew up being a very problem-solving kind of person. Um, My parents made sure that I was able to do things on my own. And so I was not never one to complain without offering a solution to the problem. Usually it kind of manifests itself and I've tried this and this and this, but I'm out of ideas. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I've seen a lot of in ADHD groups, especially is that their working and living spaces are disastrous and while I understand that I am I I am one of the worst like if somebody who is neurotypical comes into my house they they're blown away by just stuff um and its place and whatever um if you know where it is if it's in that one specific spot on the floor let them leave it there because you know if even if you move it two inches to the left they can't find it Um, and so I kind of translate, translate that over to teaching. My desk is like I say in the blog, um, kind of a New York city skyline kind of scenario, um, paper pile skyscrapers everywhere. And so that works for me. So what, what I kind of want to re just kind of drive home is that 
what works for neurotypical people probably will not work for ADHD people. Yeah. And that's okay. Um, so piles work for me, but for a lot of ADHD people, they don't. I feel like if you maneuver it to fit you, then you can make piles work. But there are a lot of people who it would not work for. I often say when I do my workshops and stuff for schools and training educators and all, I often make the joke that if we walked through the school, we could figure out with pretty solid accuracy which teachers have ADHD and which teachers don't just by looking for the piles. Oh yeah, definitely. Every now and then you hit a teacher that's just in a busy rough spot and there's piles on their desk because of that and usually there aren't. But for the most part, you got some ADHD going on with these piles. You can pick them out. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a, like a beacon in a way. It, it kind of draws people. And I've had teachers come forward saying that they have problems with organizing. Um, they didn't, I don't think they had a diagnosis or anything. They just disclosed to me that they had problems organizing. And they said, you're one of the most organized people I know. Like, how do you do that? And of course, for me, as somebody who suffers with something that tells me I'm not organized, huge compliment, right? Um, I was on cloud nine for like the rest of that week. <laughs> and then I was able to help that, that teacher. And so usually when people just come to me, and this can be students, teachers, friends, everybody, um, they come to me with a problem. Usually I'll start with, have you tried blank, 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 you know? And usually by the time I get, after, like after the second one, they haven't tried the third one yet. And so, and that helps with kids too. Um, I have the three before me rule. Try three things before you ask me or ask three classmates before you ask me because if at least four, four kids don't know what we're doing, I need to re-explain. That's a great rule. That's a rule that can go home too. Parents can use that same rule. Right. And Google is very efficient. So you can Google how to do something. Google's fantastic. What ADHD people struggle with a lot of the times I've found, especially in my personal experience, is discipline and consistency. Because of executive functioning, that it's just 20 to 1 million times harder. Now, when you say discipline, do you mean discipline around misbehavior or do you mean discipline around consistently doing the thing that you intend to do? Oh, self-discipline. Um, and so I will say that any system that you put in place only works to its full potential if you do it consistently. However, even if you don't do it 100% of the time, maybe you do it 75, 80% of the time, these will still work. Yeah. You, you just might have to notice that it's not working as well as it could. And so you need to be doing this more or less whatever. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and another element of that is when we start a new system, we have to anticipate the dip, right? There's that gap, that dip gap between it's a new and interesting system that I'm really engaged with and I'm totally going to use it because it's new and interesting and then anywhere from a day to a week out, it stops being new and interesting. It gets boring. Yeah. Yeah. And we stop doing it. And we're like, that didn't work. But that's not true. Nothing works if you don't do it. You just hit that, that dip, that gap in the middle between new and interesting and like habit. I don't think I've ever heard it explained that way. But that's, that's exactly what happens. At least for me, you know, I tried using Remind, you know, last year. Um, and it worked out great for the kids who signed up and the parents that signed up, you know, all 20 of them out of 120 something parents. It was great to communicate with, but it only works if 90 to 100% of the time those parents signed up with, with that. And so 
I'm trying it again this year, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I don't know. Usually, new parents, new kids. It just it's just different. Cool. Sometimes different is useful. So another another strategy that you use that you share in this article is a laminated to do list on your desk. Yes. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Because I'm seeing a few different things hiding inside of that. Yes. Um, so I have things that I do every day without fail. I change the date on the board. I check the absent binder. I make sure that, you know, stuff's clean or whatever. Um, so I have that typed out in a pretty big print um, on this piece of paper. Now, what I've done is I've laminated it, which means that I can, if it's a dry or wet erase marker, I can clean it off and it still be usable. So I don't have to waste more paper doing the exact same things that I normally do. Because you can write on the lamination and then erase it. Exactly. And so that is um, like with heavy duty shipping tape is taped to my desk because stuff gets moved and, you know, things happen. And so whenever I have a meeting or I know I have, I know my planning period is supposed to be set for one specific thing or a, a list of specific things, I write it down on there. And there is a weird satisfaction with checking boxes off to-do lists for me it's it's like a yay i'm a productive adult which sometimes does not happen <laughs> that little dopamine burst yes um and so and you know adhd is all about instant gratification so once you complete something you know in your brain that's a gold star or whatever whatever system works for you and then usually at the end of each day or at the beginning of each morning when i get there because i'm an early bird so i get there super early i'll write down the things i know i have to get done that day and then as the day goes on in between classes, during prep, after school, I can just check stuff off and get it done. Cool. I know for me, another benefit of laminating stuff, sort of two other benefits that I see that, that I've used in, on occasion that parents might also get a kick out of is the fact that you can write on it is magic. That makes things so much easier that you're not wasting paper and you have a consistent form. But also... There's something about having a laminated list or a laminated whatever that just makes it feel kind of special and important. It feels official, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like your you're big stuff, you know, and in a world that tries to make people feel small, it's the little things that like lamination or, you know, um, a special kind of tape. Putting it on a clipboard. Yeah, totally. And the other thing, and putting it on a clipboard does this as well, is... It makes it easier to find. Yes. It's always in the same spot. Yeah. But even if for some reason it gets sent into a pile of paper somehow, it's laminated and the other paper isn't. Right. So it makes it just easier to track down because I, I used a lot of lamination when I was teaching too. So the way I have my desk is I have three monitors kind of um, that move from one screen to another. So I have my computer right in front of me. And then my to-do list is directly to the right. And so I always know, like, if I put my phone down on it, I know that this is always going to be right here. Okay. Um, or if it's under a pile of paper, it still exists under that pile of paper. Right. So you can just move the pile. Right. I was going to ask about that. <laughs> <laughs> Usually the piles don't go right, right there specifically because um, I kind of have a really long, like, L-shaped sort of desk. So I have a ton of space that I can put piles into, which is exactly what happens. <laughs> That's awesome. So circling back to those piles of paper real quick, when you're looking for something in those piles of paper, do you do the thing where you sort of like 
stand near where the thing might be and then almost travel back in time emotionally to how you felt when you put the thing in the, pe- in the pile and find it that way? Or do you go digging? Um, I'm not necessarily a digger. I, and I'm not really a very emotionally driven person either. Um, so what happens is my copy piles go in a certain vicinity. Things that need to be copied are things that have already been copied. Things that I need to grade go in a certain vicinity. So I know that it's between here and here. I just need to find it. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of narrows down my search. Um, I've had to retrace my steps quite a few times. Usually it's during class when the kids are working. Thank you, Jesus. When they're working independently. So they don't, I'm not going to say that they don't need me, but I'm not what, I'm, I'm not the focus of their attention, which is somebody who has problem paying attention. It's really hard for me to focus on one person. So I, I sympathize with those kids. So yeah, I usually just kind of search the area that I know it's, could be in or um i'll put stuff in my backpack and then i'll forget it's there and then when i get home i'll realize that i needed this today and it was in my backpack the whole time and so that again happens a handful of times you know i did talk about putting sticky notes at the bottom of every pile i i've done that but it works better for me to just have like a general vicinity where things can be and so i'll go rifling through those piles like i know that graded paper is in there it's, I just don't know, don't know where it exists in the pile. Another tool that I found useful as I sort of, I eventually shifted away from piles when I taught. And it was because I had two realizations about ADHD. One was something I learned about it. The other one was like, a, I figured it out from my own experience. The first one is how visually driven people with ADHD are. Like we have to be able to see it. That came from me learning about ADHD. And then I was like, oh, right. It makes so much more sense now. (laughs) Yeah. And the other thing that happened for me was I realized, and I still can't explain this one yet. Someone's going to call in and be like this. But what I realized was that if it closes, I don't use it anymore. Like I just feel like it should stay closed. And both of those things destroy filing cabinets for me. (laughs) Yep. So like, I just can't use a filing cabinet. But what I did instead was I got milk crates that you can hang a hanging file in. They don't close. So I was able to have the hanging file benefit of fewer piles. The stuff is in the milk crates. It's organized by units or whatever, or student, but it wasn't closed. So it's still out there to where you can kind of visualize everything. Yeah. And it still feels like it's alive and manipulatable and, and that kind of stuff. The only area where this doesn't work is like sort of student IEP confidential stuff. And I was about to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to go in a filing cabinet anyway. And too bad for me. Right. Um, but I just had to train myself to go into that filing cabinet. And I used a, one of my desk drawers was a filing cabinet and it locked. And that was close enough on hand that it was in my workspace and I was able to use that effectively. Um, but the milk crate thing might, might be useful or might not be. I don't know. I just thought I'd throw it out there in case it, it is. In the next blog, I'll, I'll be talking about the desk and how they can kind of not make it look so scary to people without ADHD. <laughs> um, because administrators will come in for an observation and they won't say anything to me about it because they're watching me teach, but they'll look over and their eyes will kind of get real big. And then they'll look back at me, back at the desk, 
back at me. And it's never been put in my evaluation because I've not to toot my own horn, but I've been a pretty effective teacher. So they're not really worried about that. They're just kind of, it's just kind of a, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of a, (laughs) kind of a scenario. So I kind of did something similar. I did a binder thing that has, now binder still closed, of course, but, and I talk about this in the blog about having um, reflective time for your assignments. Now, obviously kids are different class. Every class period is different. I don't know how elementary teachers do it um, with different assignments, different kids, all that. But I have paper copies of all of my assignments, whether it's actually on paper or not. That way, when I go around with my clipboard or I have it sitting out somewhere, because that's a distinct possibility, I have sticky note on it to where I can write down things that could be changed the next class or how much I'm going to grade this for, um, possible modifications for my IEP 504 kids or my ESL kids, kids that don't speak English as their first language. Um, I forget that parents listen to this and so they may not exactly uh, get all the acronyms because there are a lot of acronyms. Yeah, I think I've been riding that wave too. And I'm like, yeah, ESL, English is second language, do to do. So that's totally, yeah, I totally know that. Um, so, <laughs> um, and I have one for each prep that I teach. Now I keep the ones from previous years, but it's in like a bookends thing on my desk to where it's, that's on my desk that's closest to the wall. So I can just turn and pull it out or, uh, and I have them all in sheet protectors too. So they're, they're safe. Um, because for somebody who's as disorganized as I'm supposed to be, I want things to stay clean and pretty. And so I put them in sheet protectors because that's how they stay clean and pretty. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) That's awesome. And that, that built in tool for reflection where you're bringing the assignment with you with a sticky note on it. So you can write there jot stuff down in the moment. That's awesome. That's great. That's, that's one of the, there were two things that jumped out at me as I read this and I was like, I wish I had that when I was teaching. And that's one of them. And the other one is a strategy that I've learned since teaching mm-hmm. that I wish I had back then. And I didn't think of it in terms of teaching until I read your article. And I was like, Oh wait, this is great. And that is the way that you plan your time where you have And I'll just quickly go through your weekly schedule. I'm just going to rattle it off real quick. But the time blocking that you're doing is great here. Thank you. You're welcome because it's awesome. Monday is grading. Tuesday is parent contacting and special education paperwork. Wednesday is tweaks to the week's lesson plan if necessary. Thursday is grading and parent contacting again. Friday is making copies and tweaks to the next week's lesson plans. And then Saturday is maybe tweaks to lesson plans, maybe grading if you feel like it. And I like that part too, that you're like, I might not do this. That's okay. And then Sunday, there's nothing, which is also great that you're making sure you've got a day to yourself and to rest. But this is not how I taught. I taught completely like seat of the pants. I have to grade stuff right now. And oh my God, I have to do this other thing. And I felt like I was always running from one fire to another because there was no structure to my week. This is awesome. Thank you. Um, so what I realized this past year is that now I plan pretty stringently most of the summer. I upgrade, I upgrade lessons, I revamp, I do all this other stuff that maybe didn't work the last time. So I'll, I'll see how other things work. So I felt my burnout in October, which for people that didn't go to school, you have two more months till Christmas and then you get two weeks, two weeks off usually. That's a lot of time to be burnt out. And 
I know for me, I was not as effective when I was burnt out. And so it, that's something that a lot of teachers in general feel, but ADHD people, I think they kind of take it to a whole other level because our brain is already constantly going. And so our brain's exhausted. And so we're going to put all this other work on ourselves and it's just, it's just not sustainable. And so I want to be in teaching for a long time. So if I want to be in teaching for a long time, I have to change a few things. Now, this idea was, I'm going to give credit where credit's due, totally stolen from Cults of Pedagogy. They had a, uh, something about um, batch scheduling, which is where you just, if you're going to grade, you're going to contact parents. If you're going to tweak, you're going to do something else. And so it was like a revamp your prep period kind of thing because you only have 40-ish minutes if you're at my school. Um, so that's a long time. And I'm the person that since I get there so early, by the end of the day, I'm pretty much mentally done. And so that way I know what I need to do from 312 to when our last class leaves till 4 p.m. or 430 or whenever I decide my curfew is going to be because I have one of those too. I like that too. I like the fact that you set yourself a curfew because for people with ADHD, it's really important that we define done. And a curfew defines done. You, you sort of have two definitions of done. One is curfew and the other one is when I finish the thing and whichever one comes first, now you're done. And, and that's also great. I want to sort of circle back to the parents who are listening in case they aren't seeing why this is useful and how this might help them avoid burnout in the same way that it helped you avoid burnout because they don't get a break at Christmas. That's very true. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, right? As a dad, there's, that's not a thing. Christmas is harder. Um, <laughs> and also there's like Christmas happening. So there's like other stuff and new variables that you have to pay attention to. But for parents, we can do things in the same way where like Monday is laundry and Tuesday is mowing the lawn or Wednesday is tacos. Well, Tuesday should be tacos, realistically, if we watch the Lego movie. Um, so Tuesday's tacos and, and Wednesday's hamburgers. Like you can just have the same meal consistently every week. Maybe a couple of days are variable days or something. But, but we can batch the sort of parenting household stuff in the same way that you're batching your teaching stuff. And it also works for kids especially for ADHD kids, you know, there's a, there's a real age and a mental age. And so I know for me, I always felt a couple of years behind in my mental and emotional age. Um, and so there were times where my parents didn't let me be done, but, um, they just realized that they, I wasn't being productive and not because I was trying not to be productive. I was just tired and done and I just wasn't producing what I needed to to be successful. And so usually in those cases, um, if I was younger, they would email my teacher or, um, and again, only happened, I want to say maybe three times, probably less than that. Or when I was older, I, I did it myself. I, and usually because my, both of my parents are educators, they kind of taught me how to talk to teachers being very, of course, being very kind and being very apologetic because I was feeling guilty and apologetic and being authentic with it. And so Setting a curfew for your kids, not just for bedtime, even though that is very important. For the parents listening, do not let your kids play Fortnite past a certain time. <laughs> because 
from the educator perspective, it is not, <laughs> it is not conducive to a good learning environment or, you know, whatever game they play. Cause I mean, for my students, it's Fortnite or PUBG or whatever the new thing is now. My parents always, what they did was they said, okay, you have, you have these things that you have to do, do these first and then do the things you want to do. They always taught me to tackle the hardest thing first. So that way I'm full of gas, I'm ready to go. Um, and then the easier things just kind of come, come to me, you know? And so for students and for, for parents, that just, it, it just helps. And so usually by Friday, I'm, I'm exhausted, mentally speaking. And so I need those two days to recover. But making copies is super easy. If the copier's not jammed, which for teachers, that's kind of a going joke. <laughs> it's also kind of relaxing, too. It is. Um, knowing, like just watching them kind of go through and getting this big pile of paper to, to take it back to your room. Like, I'm, I've got this big task that I've done now, you know, um, even though it's not a huge thing. And there's a level of, this is something that, like, I don't think anybody who's not a teacher would even know this kind of experience. But although with smartphones, it might be a little different. But I know for me, if I'm running off like 120 copies, more if it's a packet, right? Because it's like four page packet, that's 500 copies. You can't really do anything else. Like there's a part of you that's like, you don't want to just run off and go to your classroom and disappear because then you're being a jerk for the next guy. So you're sort of stuck in this little room with a photocopier, this bzz, 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 which is like this meditative rhythmic noise. It's very calming, I've noticed. Yeah. And so luckily for me, my room is very close to the copier. So I can run back and shoot a quick text or, but I can't do anything too big. And so it's a, it's a point of relaxation, honestly. Or it forces you to grade one or the other. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, of course we can get, we can go all day on something that, you know, I can only grade a couple of papers at a time. Otherwise I just, just, it's not happening <laughs> as well as it should. We can't go too long because we're coming up on time. So, uh, just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? So one thing that I mentioned earlier in the podcast was um, doing things consistently, but when you don't, or if you don't, not beating yourself up that you're not doing it consistently. There are some days where I don't feel like grading on Tuesday, or maybe there's not a lot to grade and I can get it done the next morning. And so your mental and emotional health is just as important as your physical if not more so, um, because you are no use to your students when you are burnt out. Or your children. Or your children, or your dogs, or, you know, whatever. So do, they, do these things consistently, but don't mess yourself up about it if you don't. Change the system if it doesn't work for you, but make sure if you're changing it, it's because you tried it and it didn't work. You just kind of have to, teachers know this, you have to be creative with everything. You know, you have to be flexible and you have to be willing to um, admit when you've messed up. And that's one thing kids that I've noticed will relish in. They don't enjoy teachers that try to be perfect all the time or never seem to accept, not blame necessarily, but accept, you know, that they've messed up. If I forget to change the date on the board, you can bet some kid's going to, some kid's going to mention it to me. And I'll just be like, oh yeah, my bad. Sorry guys. And then it's over. So I don't think about it after that. It doesn't really 
unless it's something huge, like, oh, I don't know, forgetting to make copies, which is a distinct possibility, then it's like, oh, crap, you, got, you can't sweat the small stuff. Sweat the big stuff, because the big stuff deserves your sweat. But not changing the date on the board, like, come on. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.